behind busyness is avoidance. There's something you don't want to think about, you don't want to deal with, you don't want to face. And for me, I truly was blind to it. And it really wasn't until, like I said, therapy that I understood like, oh, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. When I sat still and I really just listened to my internal self, I was like, oh, I'm really lonely. I feel very, very alone. And I didn't even know I felt that way. There's no rushing the healing or the hardship. You have to go through it. There's no way out except through it. And that I know for sure. So I was like, all right, all right, God, take the wheel. Take the wheel because I surrender. I don't know what I'm doing, how to get out of this, what my life is going to look like at the end. But I trust in you that you have a divine plan for me and I'm just going to put my hands up and flow. God's timing is never rushed by our impatience in this dunya, for he is always in control of all plans, and we, we're in control of the steps that we take towards his plans. You're listening to Unsweet and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 27 of season three. One quote that always lingers in my mind is, if your heart became closer to Allah as a result of something that has happened to you, it was the biggest blessing. You know, sometimes in moments of hardship, we tend to feel as if God has forgotten us. But it's in these moments when we are truly reminded of Allah's mercy and His love for every one of His creations. Today's special guest, Melanie L. Turk, who is also the CEO of Hot Hijab, said something in today's episode that resonated deep within my heart. She said, just because you're far from Allah does not mean that Allah is far from you. How often do we feel distant from God, reluctant to make dua, and the desire to be in the driver's seat of our life, even in moments where we feel like we are being tested beyond belief? And so I had the honor to sit down with Melanie to discuss how to better understand the concept of trusting God, like really trusting God. She is someone who hasn't had a shortage of hardships herself, from dealing with grief, loss, and recently opening up about going through divorce. I wanted to gain a better insight into how one can truly let go and let God. In this episode, we discuss why we are so keen on carrying the deep and emotional pain we have gone through rather than unpacking it once and for all. We talk about the stories our wounds carry and how therapy has been both eye and heart opening for the both of us. You know, in life, we go through multiple rebirths. And more often than not, our rebirth happens when we hit rock bottom. And not because there's nowhere to go, but because we don't want to feel this way again. So how does one prepare for radical change? How do we learn to accept not only God's plans, but also God's pace? Let's dive in. Thank you so much, Melanie, for joining me today. SubhanAllah, like I think it was three years ago when I first saw you in person, it was at a gathering that you hosted and you had this whole discussion surrounding the topic of what is your purpose in life? And I think from that moment on, I became like so obsessed with that question. I started asking myself that question every single day, like what is my purpose in life? That conversation was just so powerful. Like I've never left an event feeling so empowered, so connected to my faith, so connected to the people that were there. I mean, we were all strangers but somehow, some way, you allowed us to feel like a community of sisters Like as soon as we left that event. And I just really want to thank you. And I would love for you to introduce yourself, even though even though you are a household name, mashallah, you are just somebody who is so connected with their community. And I would love for, just in case anybody who doesn't know you, for you to, inshallah, introduce yourself and we can get right into the conversation. First of all, you are so sweet. Thank you so much. That is so, so, so sweet and kind of you to say. And thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with you, speaking with you, Dunya. So hello, everyone. I'm Melanie. I'm the CEO of Hot Hajab. I, uh, I've been running Hot Hajab with uh, my co-founder, former husband, <laughs> for uh, over 11 years now. And I'm sure most of you know me from there. So I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to continue, as you said, the conversation we were having at the Changemakers event where we talked about finding your life purpose. And, you know, that's a big part of the work that I do beyond, obviously, the beautiful hijabs that we carry. It's really elevating the Muslim community. And that's how, you know, things like this help help me with that mission. It's an honor for me to be here. 
I mean, I honestly don't want to brush off like your amazing accomplishments. Still incredible to witness, you know, Muslim women succeeding in this field, in this sector, in becoming entrepreneurs. And, you know, like I said earlier, you're so connected to your community and you still find ways to like uplift women, especially specifically women in hijab, especially because of the climate that we're in right now. But how has your journey been thus far? I mean, it's been a journey, that's for sure. You know, Allah Kareem, Allah is so good to us. From the beginning, Ahmed and I had set our intention on wanting to elevate the Muslim community, wanting to instill confidence in Muslim women to feel comfortable and confident to wear hijab. That was always our intention. And alhamdulillah, when you're really doing things and striving in order to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will provide from places you never expected. He will allow you and facilitate through you the ability to succeed and to soar and that's alhamdulillah we have obviously we've we've hit our fair share of hardships and roadblocks and there's been so much hardship along the way but the successes far outweigh anything that was difficult and honestly all those difficulties just were opportunities they taught us they shaped us they allowed us to grow and i'm just so grateful that i'm still here 10 11 years later still kicking and thriving. And it really is a pleasure for me that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed me to do this work because it's not lost on me that a lot of people want to do what I do. And I only know that because I get so many emails and DMs and YouTube comments and and what have you of women saying to me, hey, I want to start a business. I want to get into fashion. I want to be a CEO. I want to be an entrepreneur. How'd you do it? So it's not lost on me that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hand-selected me to do this work and given me the ability, the skills, the tools in order to be successful and to still be here. So it's been a long journey. It's been a good one. It has. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never ending. That's beauty. It's never ends. We're still learning and growing. Honestly, and no two days are the same when you're running your own business. Like you're only going to approach so many different challenges and roadblocks. But subhanAllah, when you have like Allah in your corner, like I read a quote that Allah always goes before you before you go into the hardship. So it's like almost like Allah already knows what the hardship is going to consist of. But he also knows you so well that he knows that you're going to overcome that hardship. So all you have to do is just trust in him. And I know it sounds so easy. Look, trust in Allah. But like, I mean, that's the basis of our faith. And I think that's the season that I'm in. You know, the more you trust Allah, the easier that patience comes around, the easier that you you can become more patient with whatever it is that you're dealing with because you just know that Allah has you, that Allah is going to always provide for you, just like you said. And I absolutely love that you just brought it back to Allah and like in regards to your business and where you are right now. But you know, a lot of us have gone through so many ups and downs and I honestly just want to thank you for coming on here and just sharing your stories, whatever bits and pieces of your life story that you want to share. But you shared this quote, uh, I believe this is how you pronounce her name, Iyanla. And you share something along the lines of her saying, there is no greater battle in life than the battle between the parts of you that want to be healed and the parts of you that are comfortable and content with remaining broken. And it's like, you think to yourself, like when you think of other people, like why would anybody want to remain broken? But then you kind of have to like shift your perspective and look at yourself. What parts of your life have you seen yourself being comfortable with? What hardships have you decided to just dwell in and stay in and, and find comfort in? instead of overcoming. Like when you share that quote, what does that personally mean to you, especially after everything that you've probably faced in your own personal life? It struck me because not to say that that's not something that I struggle with, but I am the, since I was a child, my teachers and caregivers and whoever else used to say, you're a firecracker. (sighs) You can't be contained. You just go. And when you want to do something and you have that resolve, you do it. And it's true. And my sister said to me recently, and uh, anyone listening who's part of the HH fam will know this because I say it all the time on lives and what have you. But my sister turned to me one day, we were walking around the city and she goes, Mel, this is a really hard period of your life, but you're going to get through it. You know how I know? I said, how? And she said, because you're the type of girl that grabs it by the throat and punches it in the mouth. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, what, what? same time I was like yes "Yes, I am yes (laughs) that is me and so once I know something is broken something is wrong something needs to be fixed I'm not afraid at this point in my life I'm not afraid of the change that comes from that 
And I think a lot of people, the reason why they feel comfortable and content remaining broken is because they're afraid of the change that will come. They know that this means I might have to blow up my whole life. This life I've made for myself, living in this house, in this city, with these friends and this community and this set of wardrobe and this, you know, social life, whatever it is, things will have to change. And for most people, that's a really scary thought. So I love that quote so much because I hope that when people read it, they realize and think to themselves, oof, what are the things in my life I'm not facing because I don't want to face it? I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, once I pose this question online and if you read it really quickly, it sounds kind of controversial. I said, how much do you weigh? Of course, you're like, who is this person asking me how much do I weigh? But I'm asking not physically, but figuratively, how much are you carrying? How much of your past pain, past emotional deep pain are you carrying with you that you're choosing to go from one chapter to the next chapter of your life, carrying the same baggage and choosing not to unpack it? And that's something that I was doing. I was allowing past relationships to affect the current blessings that I have in my life. Like I was like this. This is a blessing right now, but why am I not treating it as such? Because I'm allowing past things to kind of manifest right now in the present moment. I'm still carrying the past with me because it's almost like I've allowed it to become like a security blanket for me, like a safety blanket. And I'm like, what am I doing? I can't truly evolve. I can't truly be in the present moment if I'm still worrying about what my future contains, what my past has done to me, what I faced in my past. You know, recently I've shared that I've gone to therapy and you've also shared that you've gone to therapy and you've gone through a different type of therapy that I never honestly heard of. And I thought it was so interesting the more I read about it. And it's called EMDR. Do you mind like sharing what you've learned from there or how you've even come about that type of therapy? Absolutely. I think therapy is a fantastic tool. Traditional therapy for me, because I'm somebody who I unpack quickly, I'm very introspective and I have a, a, and I have my people around that I used as a sounding board to analyze and dissect. So traditional therapy for me wasn't incredibly helpful. So I needed to go a layer deeper and how it started to kind of give you the backstory. So this is Again, if HH fam is here, you're going to be able to understand the background of like what's been <laughs> happening. Either. But it was back in August 2020, I believe, August, September. I started having these really intense panic attacks where I couldn't do anything. And the only other time I had had a panic attack in my life was when my brother, Alair Hamo, had oh, passed Hamo. away like years prior. And it was just one time and it was understandable. I was going through intense grief and that was that. In this moment, I was like, what is this? And it, it was to the point where I couldn't do anything other than sitting still. I couldn't run. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't read Quran. I couldn't, I certainly couldn't do work. I couldn't do anything except for sit still. And that's the only way that it would go away. And it was obvious what God was trying to do to me was to say, Mel, sit still, stop, just stop. And so our whole world had stopped, right? I mean, this is the middle of COVID and yes. what's in the macro is in the micro, like as above, so below. So obviously I'm, none of us are immune to what's happening in the bigger picture of the entire universe. And so it was COVID, the whole world stopped. And so as a result, me as an individual had to stop. And I had been going in this work grind mode for, since I had moved to New York, quit my job as an attorney from uh, when I was living in Dubai, moved to New York City to do this full time. And I, I kid you not, I mean, I worked 24, if I was awake, I was work. I don't care if it was a weekend, if it was 11 p.m., if it was 5 a.m., if I was awake, I was working. And I did that for four years or so. And it was, you know, and I haven't done it now. I'm so grateful for that. It's like the seven before seven, like take advantage of the time before you don't have the time. Take advantage of that energy before you don't have that energy. That's how I built this company, myself and my team. Of course, Ahmed and I and the team, you know, I don't have any regrets through that. However, God was like, that's enough. That's enough. So I had these panic attacks and immediately I was like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I need to do something about this because clearly God's trying to tell me something. And what I had instantly thought about was actually another Changemakers event we had done in California. I had met a fellow Muslim woman founder 
who also had a very high stress job as an entrepreneur with a startup building a team. And she had told me, and I literally met her for minutes, just minutes. And in that brief interaction, she told me about how she had suffered from burnout. She was having panic attacks and how she had to be away from her company from eight month, for eight months to recover. So this story is in my brain. I'm like, uh-uh, that can't be me. I don't have eight months. I don't got that time. So I immediately called her. And again, this was like a brief, but you know, those people who you meet and for whatever reason, you just feel so connected to them. Like I felt comfortable to pick up the phone and be like, Hey, remember me? And she <laughs> Like, oh my goodness, here's what I did. And here's what really helped. I went to EMDR therapy. Let me give you her name. She told me a bunch of other things she did, but it was clear that the first step that I needed to do was number one, take time off. And number two, get acquainted with this therapist. So I did. And EMDR therapy is trauma therapy. It's typically for people with PTSD. And what we don't realize is, as you just said, we're all walking around with some sort of trauma from our lives that we don't realize. So it's not to say that if you don't have clinical, uh, unless you have clinical PTSD, this isn't for you. Anyone and everyone can benefit from this type of therapy. So I started that therapy and we started to really unpack And it was so helpful. The reason I loved it is because I am a doer. I am a, like when I know I need to do, like I said, when she locates, pinpoints a trigger, a past trauma, I face it head on. I don't shy away from it. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't even know I was dealing with this. And we, we deal with it. And the beauty of EMDR therapy is it's quick. It's not something that lives inside you and you have to dwell on forever or, you know, for days, it's like you process that past trauma in the session. And it's incredible for some people who have extreme OCD, they can be, I don't want to say cured, but relieved of that disease instantly from doing this trauma therapy. So it was life changing for me for in so many ways. And it really was the thing that, I mean, I don't know if this is the right term, but it's, it's how I, like my life blew up after that. My, my, I mean, nothing was the same in my life after starting that therapy. That was kind of the, well, there were many dominoes, but that was a big one that then created this trickle down effect that allowed me to create a new path for myself that facilitated the way for so much change in my life, uh, realizations and breaking down barriers and doors and blocks that I didn't know I had and uh, understanding patterns of behavior that I was carrying around with me because I picked them up as a child of, you know, like, I don't even want to say it this way, but just my own certain circumstances where my parents were divorced when I was five, I was raised by a single dad, you know, Whatever your life path as a child, no one way is wrong, but every single child picks up certain habits and patterns, whether the kid realizes it or not, whether the parents realize that the children are doing that or not. And you carry that along with you into adulthood. And some of it's healthy and some of it's not. For me, that's what EMDR therapy did for me. And uh, I was going, I mean, in the beginning, it was like twice a week. I was like, I need help. (laughs) Now it's like as needed. So I did it pretty consistently from, I want to say it was like November, October, November until about end of March. And so that's like, what, six, seven months. And then uh, from March till now, it's just like as needed. I'll schedule, you know, an hour session with her. SubhanAllah, like when we think of the things that we've gone through, we don't realize like there's laced with so many stories, like even our own wounds, like we kind of like brush that to the side. And like when you were talking about like your childhood, alhamdulillah, for the most part, I had an amazing and incredible childhood. But yeah, there's certain habits that you kind of pick up from your parents and your surroundings that you kind of do carry into adulthood. One of them being like, don't expose what you're going through. Just keep it under wraps. And like, that's how I kind of like faced everything in my life in adulthood, like keeping everything under wraps. Even things that should have been brought to light, things that I should have like spoken up about earlier um, in regards to the relationships I, that I've had that I've, again, majority of the people that listen to the podcast know what I'm talking about, what I've gone through personally. All that stuff, if if I chose not to keep it under wraps and just kind of like talked about it and been more open about it, I think I would have saved myself all the pain that I've gone through. So yeah, there's certain healthy habits that we do carry and certain things that we carry into adulthood that kind of really truly affect us and our decision making and how we process things in life. And wounds are so 
interesting. Like somebody said, like, don't speak from an open wound, speak from like a healed wound. And that's so true. Like I had to stop myself certain times from speaking from an unhealed wound, from an open wound, because that was the anger speaking. And there's nothing wrong with being angry about what you've gone through. You have every right to be angry about certain things that you've gone through. But it's when you kind of don't even recognize yourself when you're saying the story, when you're just blurting everything out. And sometimes when you blur everything out, you have to realize you can never make whatever you just said private again. It's public information now. And like, sometimes I had to hold myself back. Like I was in that realm of wanting to tell everybody what I've gone through, but then also making sure that I stop myself because I'm not, it's not helping me at all, you know, and it might not even help other people that might have been going through what I went through. The barometer is share your wisdom, not your pain, you know, share the wisdom that this trial taught you, not the woe. A really amazing TED Talk by Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S. Listen to it. She talks about that. And, it, you know, these trials and tribulations are meant to, to for many things. But one of them is you become wiser as, as a result, right? And you can share that wisdom. And that's what's meant to be shared, not from the place of pain, but the, from the place of growth. Exactly. Like that's so beautifully said. When it comes to you and the wounds and the trials and the tribulations that you face, like how do you not rush into like just closing up the wound and say, okay, I'm done. I'm over that rather than actually like learning how to like transform yourself from that wound and maybe like view life from like a completely different perspective. Because I think that's what I was doing where I thought like at the beginning of my therapy sessions, it's like, okay, I talked about it. I'm done with that. Now moving on to the next thing, but that's not how it works. Like just talking about it isn't the way that you heal from it. It's how do you now live your life moving forward after trying to heal this wound? So how do you like just not just close up the wound, but actually learn from this wound and to change your perspective moving forward? You know, you had said something interesting, and I think that's a very brown, like Arab and Desi cultural thing. And maybe it exists in other cultures too, but this whole notion of like, keep it under wraps, sweep it under the rug. We don't talk about these things. I didn't grow up that way. My family is not like that at all. Oh, we're like so open. We talk about everything to the point where it's embarrassing. Sometimes I'm like, Baba, don't say like, we don't want to hear this. You know what I mean? My mom, I'm like, TMI. But like, that's just our family. And that's how I was raised by two parents who are incredibly open humans and very, I mean, they just let the whole world in and they, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm an open book. I've never been one to like, oh no, we don't talk about these things because I wasn't raised that way. I was raised by two parents who are the exact opposite of that. What I learned from that growing up was that there's there's no benefit to you from not understanding yourself in such a way where when something bad happens or you're going through some struggle, you shouldn't examine it. Like only good can come from keeping your heart open. And it's kind of like if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, like she's made it into, you know, her own work, which is strong back, soft front, wild heart, right? And I think a lot of us have that strong back where we struggle with the soft front in our community. I think that's what it is. It's like the ability to have your heart open in that way because we're so afraid of it being hurt. And that's something I never struggled with because I've always had that. And I learned it from my parents. So when something happens to me, like for example, when my brother passed, I took eight months. I didn't leave the house for eight months. You know, I went through the stages of grief. I processed it. I cried every day. I, I went through everything I had to go through to get me to the other side. And it took eight months. I knew that had I not done that, and I don't know where this knowledge came from. Maybe I just saw it from other people. Maybe my parents instilled it in such a way, but I knew that if I didn't, I would deal with it somehow, some way, some other form, because what you resist persists. And if you suppress anything, it'll find its way back up. So I'd rather deal with it in the moment so I don't have to deal with it later. And this situation for me, like, you know, I just mentioned I was getting, I was having those panic attacks. And in reality, maybe there were things I wasn't dealing with that came, and the panic attack was the thing that came up to the surface. Like, you're suppressing this, you're suppressing this, you're suppressing this. And the thing is, you know, I was saying if I was awake, I was working. A lot of that was busyness. I was always keeping busy. I'm one of those. Like I have a stick up my butt. Like I'm always moving. Always. I'm, I'm very Nashifa. In Arabic, we say Nashifa. Like she's always go, 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 go. And what's hidden behind busyness is avoidance. 
there's something you don't want to think about. You don't want to deal with, you don't want to face. And for me, I truly was blind to it. I was so, I had such blinders on. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know there was anything. I just thought I was grinding. And it really wasn't until, like I said, therapy that I understood like, oh, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And I really did a good job of of bringing happiness into my life in other ways, whether it was through friends or traveling or the company or meeting customers at HH fam community through these events or whatever it was, I was really good at finding little pockets of happiness elsewhere. But, you know, as we all were compelled and made to sit still during COVID with everything stripped from us, when I sat still and I really just listened to my internal self, I was like, oh, I'm really lonely. I feel very, very alone. And I didn't even know I felt that way. You know, once I learned there's something up, there's no rushing it. There's no rushing the healing or the, or the, the hardship. You have to go through it. There's no way out except through it. And that I know for sure. So I was like, all right, we're here now. We're going to have to figure this out (laughs) and what this means. Uh, all right, God, you're take the wheel. Take the wheel because I surrender. I don't know what I'm doing, how to get out of this, what my life is going to look like at the end. But I trust in you that you have a divine plan for me and I'm just going to put my hands up and float. We're going to talk about trusting Allah. Like, thank you for sharing all of that. Because like when you're speaking, I was thinking of myself and it was Pamela right in the middle of COVID that I had my breakdown. It was very scary. Like you have to agree, Melanie, because this is not like our normal character. Like like you said, we're always on the go. We're always busy. We're always dealing with other things. We're busying ourselves. But it was in that moment where I actually had a breakdown, where I actually had to call the doctor and my tears were streaming down my face. And I actually said the, the D word. I said, I'm depressed. And I was like, whoa, that's not me. Like, why am I depressed? I have a loving family. I have loving relationships outside my family. I have a job that pays my bills. Like, why am I depressed? But it's because of all the things that I was running away from. And, you know, I was treating myself very harshly when I would look back on the hardships that I faced. And now I kind of like look at them a little bit differently. And what I mean by that is like, I always used to look at myself like, you know, you're looking at yourself from the outside and you're looking at what you've gone through and you're like, how did you not pick up on the red flags? How did you not pick up on X, Y, and Z? How did you not pick up on this or that? But now I look at my hardships from the lens of the younger me. And I don't want to get emotional, but you do get emotional when you think about your younger you and how she didn't know any better how she tried her best in that moment, how she did what she could to survive in that moment, whatever it is, if it's if it's abuse, if it's hardships, if it's loss, if it's grief, whatever it is, like she tried her best. And so when I look at my hardships from that lens, it completely changes my perspective. And I'm a little bit kinder to myself who I used to be. And I'm kinder to myself who I am right now in this moment, because I think oftentimes we're always just saying, oh, you, you knew better, you could have done better, but you didn't know better. And you did the best that you can do. And I carry that with me. And you know what, why I was treating my Myself so harshly is because like, yeah, you're brought up almost in a community where it's like, you have to be strong. You have no other way out, no other way of dealing with certain things, but to be strong. But when I went through therapy, when I was explaining the things that I went through, my therapist is like, you have every right to break down. You have every right to feel the way that you're feeling. You have every right to deal with life the way that you're dealing with life right now, because what you went through is not a normal thing. It's not normal behavior to be treated by somebody in that sense or in that way. And man, when she said that, like, oh my God, I just like broke down. And I was like, I needed to hear those words, which I've never heard those words before because I never really shared what I went through like in detail up until like I shared it with my therapist because I felt like it was a safe space that I could share with somebody that doesn't know me, doesn't know them, doesn't know anybody that relates to me or anything like that. And it was just like for the first time I spoke out loud what I went through. So for you to share that was just so beautiful and it kind of like kind of struck something in me personally. And you know, you can't get through this without having compassion for yourself. You can't. Because the, the facade of strength is I can do it all. I can do it all by myself and I can do it all in closed corners behind closed doors. Well, that's simply not true. It's just not. The way Allah has created it, he told us, he made us, he created us and divided us into nations and tribes so we can get to know one another. We need each other. The way that this interconnected world works is I can't exist without you. You can't exist without me and every single other person and living organism on this planet. We all work together. We have to have kindness and compassion for ourselves and have no judgments about your life. No judgments about your life. Your life unraveled the way it did. And it was meant to unravel in that way as ordained by God. 
So to look back and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda, and we know in our tradition, we don't woulda, shoulda, coulda anything. The Prophet ﷺ said, don't I wish or I should have or I could have. It happened in the way it was meant to happen to get you to where you are today. You cannot go through this process of healing without having compassion for yourself and kindness toward yourself to forgive yourself. Something for me that was really difficult was when I look back at my marriage, I felt like, in a nutshell, I realized I was not living for myself. I was living for another human being. And in doing that, I abandoned myself. I betrayed myself. Okay. And that's nobody's fault but my own. I don't blame anybody for that except for myself. But I don't hold myself to account for it. I know better. I mean, it's like, right, Oprah, Maya Angelou, <laughs> when you know better, you do better, yes. right? So I didn't know at the time what I was doing. And for so long, I was like, I can't, what? Oh my God, wasted time. How could I have done that? All those times when I sacrificed myself, you know, to try and make somebody else happy, which ultimately that won't work anyway. And somebody said to me, she said, Melanie, this is again, you need people, right? I couldn't have done this on my own, but Allah put this woman in my face to tell me what I needed to hear to help me grow and, and heal. And uh, she said to me, Mel, every single time that you sacrificed yourself that you're getting upset about right now, Allah rewarded you for that. You're looking back and saying, I wish I hadn't done that. Or you're feeling bad about yourself for doing that. But what you don't realize is every single time you did that, Allah knew and you were rewarded for it. Oh, and she said that I just, it was like a release valve. And I just started bawling because yeah. I, like, ah, I was holding on to that judgment of myself when it's like, you got to be, you got to have no judgments about your life and be compassionate, have kindness, the same compassion you give to others, have it for yourself and forgive yourself for the things that you didn't, you know, you wish you had known, but you didn't know any better at the time. And you weren't meant to know that. No, you weren't meant to know it in the time. That's why you went through the hardship. So you can have that. And that's what I'm trying to starting to realize. Like all of places, these hardships were, which are generally like blessings disguised as hardships, just so you can evolve and grow. Like how else would I have grown into the person I am today? And I know this sounds cliche, but sometimes you have to ingrain it in people's heads and even in your own mind, because like, you know, even with you, with going through the divorce, like Michelle, you're just handling this so well, at least like publicly by talking in, in such a positive manner about it. And not a lot of people like talk about something, you know, that's a, that's a huge feat in itself to go through divorce. But to be able to even talk about it in a positive manner and share bits and pieces, like sometimes like when we are going through loss or grief or we're mourning loss and grief, like instead of accepting what is, we start to doubt ourselves because we start to allow the voices and opinions of others kind of like manifest in our own decisions. Like, how do you like stand firm in the decision that you made? And maybe not just strictly speaking on divorce, because you're still going through this. This is something that's still new. But like, how do you stand firm in like the decisions that you make and you don't kind of go back and forth with the self-doubt? Because because I swear to you, that self-doubt can really manifest and can really bring a lot of pain into your life when you're not even sure if you made the right decision and you keep moving forward, still thinking about the decisions that you're making and thinking that it was not the right decision or questioning if you can even trust yourself to make these decisions. How do you just like accept? How do you know that Allah is still there with you, leading you, like telling you you're, you've made the right decisions, you keep moving forward? Yeah, that's such a hard place to be because that's stagnation. It's not movement. You're in the water trying to tread that water, but all you're doing is splashing around and, and going nowhere. And it's a hard place to be in. And I, it's rough. So a few things. Number one, first and foremost, let Allah decide. Let him make the decision for you. I did not decide on my own. I wanted to get divorced. God had facilitated a way for me to know that this is what God wants from me. And how do you do that? Many ways. You pray istikhara for one. I mean, even the thought, even the thought of any decision coming to your brain, where do you think that thought is coming from? Do you think you're that special that you think it's you? <laughs> it's coming from God. It's coming from God. Once the thought is there, now it's like, I need to reinforce this. So number one, let me pray istikhara and let me have firm conviction. Like I, for real, We'll take the steps necessary in one way or the other, in either direction, whichever direction you show me, I will not be afraid. I will move in that direction because that, I think, again, fear grips a lot of people. They may praise Tihara, they see the signs, but they ignore them because they don't want to move in that direction. And maybe they're not ready for it yet. 
but you have to pray. And I, you know, it's funny. I talked to a friend of mine who's going through a divorce. She said for seven years, she didn't pray istikhara because she knew because wow. she knew and she knew that if Allah had showed her, she would have had to take action, but she couldn't. She was too afraid. But you got to go in knowing that when Allah gives you and shows you the way, you got to do it. You got to do it. And alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, like I said, I'm a person of resolve. God is, I am obedient to the call of God. I don't care what it is. So for me, because I, alhamdulillah, I have that strong faith, I went into istikhara saying and knowing, Ya Allah, whichever way you take me, I'm going to go. You know, you pray istikhara and then God will move you. He'll move you in a certain direction. And once you know oh, this is where God's taking me, then don't get overwhelmed by what that entails. You take it one step at a time. So let me give you this, you know, like the divorce as an example. I'm going through therapy. I realize I'm not happy. That's the first step. Oh no, what do I do about this? Seeking clarity from God, making dua. And again, this thought came to my mind, maybe I shouldn't be married anymore. Never had this thought in my life. Never <laughs> had this thought in my life thought I was happily married and would be happily married until I died. So this thoughts in my brain and I'm like, well, I have to explore this. I can't just sweep it under the rug. So I pray istikhara on it. Now, what happened when I prayed istikhara? The next day when I woke up, I felt a feeling of I couldn't breathe. I physically felt like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. When I thought about Staying in the same state that I had been, I felt suffocated physically. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a direct answer from Allah. So now I have this information at hand. Now what do I do? Immediate next step. Let me talk to my mom and dad. I'm thinking now I'm going to talk to my mom and dad and it's going to be like, what? No. You know, I'm thinking my dad's going to be like, what? Like try and fix or like be the facilitator and all these things. So I talked to my mom first. I get immediate support, which I had expected from my mom because, you know, my mom is just a great support. My dad was the one I was kind of worried about. So I, then I talked to my dad and my dad is the best. I love my dad so much. But basically, I saw his face over Zoom because I help him write. I was helping him write this book at the time. And so we, we meet weekly. And subhanAllah, that morning I had that meeting with him after I was feeling like I couldn't breathe. So I get on Zoom, I see his face, I immediately start crying because my dad, I'm a daddy's girl and yeah. he sees right through me and I can't hide anything from him. I immediately start crying. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm, I won't, I won't say it all because it's such a, it was such a private moment, but here was the thing to know. I want you to be happy and whatever you decide, I support you. And those words, I can't tell you. Whew, it was like, okay, here's God's confirmation. I had the thought, I prayed a sikhara, God showed me a sign, I did what was ne the next logical step, and he's still moving me in that direction. I'm not facing roadblocks. I'm not coming up against something that's telling me, no, no, this isn't it. And I'm floating. I'm not forcing my will. Because what do I want? I want to stay married. I don't want to blow up my life. I don't want to jeopardize my company. I don't want things to change. And I had to let go of what I wanted and not force my will on the situation and completely give up and let God take the wheel. And so when that moment happened, it was like, all right, this is it. Now what's the next step? And then the next step and then the next step. And you just take it step by step, baby steps until you are out of it. Along the way, God will give you the people and the circumstances that have to happen for you to keep going. And he'll give you little breadcrumbs and little signs that let you know this is it. Now, if you're doing that and you still have doubts and you're still going back and forth and you don't know what to do, here's what I'll say. Let your heart lead. Listen to your guts. Because if you're letting your mind make the decision, your mind exists to avoid pain. What your mind does is it's a framework that sets up your life and everything around you so that you don't have to feel pain. Now, on the one hand, it's a great thing that your mind does that for you because it saves you from a lot of hardship. But on the other hand, 
it has to be balanced with your gut intuition, your heart. You cannot let your mind strictly control your movements. Honestly, the best thing you can do to under, if if you're not very in tune with your gut, your intuition, your inner voice, if you're not in tune with it, late at night, when you're about to fall asleep, you know, when people say like, oh, I'm delusional. I don't know what I'm saying. That's because your mind's at rest and it's actually your heart talking. What is your heart telling you in those moments? And even in the first moments you, when you wake up, your mind's not there yet. Those first, first delicate moments when you, what's your heart telling you then? That's your inner voice. That's your gut. When your mind's asleep and you're like, oh, your mind's just kind of wandering and it's dreaming the dream and it's like painting the picture of who you could be and where you could go. And and your mind kicks in and you're like, what? You can't do that (laughs) because you live here. This and what would people say? And my mom would never allow that. And my husband doesn't like this. No, 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 no. You are putting those limitations on yourself. So if you're still going back and forth, do your best to find out what your heart is trying to tell you and let that lead the way. Powerful, powerful words of advice, Melanie, because you're literally like just like bringing back everything that I've gone through. Like it was like you felt suffocated right after. And I didn't pray a but I think Allah knew that that was my form of praying that prayer. I was just very, very weak in my faith at that time. I mean, I was dealing with a lot. So for me in that moment to have mustered up a dua was just like, me showing Allah, like, I believe in you. Like, I have faith in you. Like, this this is as much as I can give right now, but I'm seeking, like, I'm desperately seeking your advice. And that was my dua. And I'm telling you, like, I was in a space where, like, faith wasn't talked about. I was just, like, removed from it so much. I, I And then, of course, when you go through so much horrific things, you kind of also, astaghfirullah to say this, because I'm not at this moment anymore, but you start to, this person starts to cut you off from God himself because you start thinking, like, what did I ever do to deserve to deal with the hardship like this like you start to question the existence of your relationship with God but in that moment when I mustered up the dua the next day I'm telling you like I was very weak and feeble in this relationship like very weak and feeble and the next day I woke up with this immense amount of strength like nobody can stop me nobody can tell me otherwise I packed my stuff that that day the next morning and I was out and you know like not a lot of people have the support of their parents but like subhanAllah like how Allah like manifests his prayers and his wishes and his blessings for you through human form like by having certain people in your life that do encourage you, that do support you, because it's not all the time that we can hear God. Like we don't hear God's voice. We just trust in him. So it's like him allowing his encouraging words to come to life through the people that we know, through the loved ones that we have. And for me, it was my loved ones, my like my close family and friends who were there like with open arms when I did come home. And that was all I needed. Like that was my like you said, my confirmation. And subhanAllah, just to just to have that conversation with God, like all it takes is just truly trusting him. Like I read something that said it was so interesting because that's how I really felt. Like I felt like in the relationship, I was like, you build your own cage and you stay in it even though there's no lock on the door. And I was like, how many times have I found myself in moments like that where I'm like, literally, I'm, I allow myself to sit in a cage and I allow my, myself to trick myself to thinking that I can't leave this situation. I can't leave this hardship. I can't leave whatever it is that I'm going through. But there is no lock on the door. You're literally the only person that's holding you back from being able to exit or to overcome whatever it is that you're facing. Do you feel like there's like a direct correlation between how much we believe in ourselves and how much we believe in God? You know, I posed this question the other day through my snap stories and I was like gun ho about it. I was like, yes, like the more I believe in Allah, the more I believe in myself. But then I started to like honestly just think about it a little bit more to myself. And I was I started to realize like I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. Like I don't think it's as black and white as that. I don't think that we can just say the more we believe in God, the more we believe in ourselves. I feel like there's a lot more work that needs to be done. But like, what are your thoughts? Like, what are your opinions on that? Like the correlation between how much we believe in ourselves and how much we believe in God at the same time? Hmm. That's a, that's a difficult correlation for me to make because as you were speaking, I recognize that there are people who are very, very far from Allah and they might be listening and they're like, Istikhara, I don't pray. Like, you know, yeah, like what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just because you're far from Allah does not mean that Allah is far from you. And so whatever little whisper in your heart you were able to muster up, you might not have even said it out loud, but it's just a little whisper. Allah knows what's in your heart and Allah wants what's best for you, whether you're close to him or you're not. He's closer to you than your jugular vein. He's closer to you than a mother's child. So if, I mean, we say that, but I don't think we realize what that means. The way we exist with humans, if this girl is nice to me, I'll be nice to her. 
she was backbiting about me, so I don't really like her. And we take that, what we deem as like human justice, and we apply that to something that cannot be defined. Allah is not the same relationship that you have with other people in your life. So no matter how far, even people who disbelieve in him completely, who are adamant in believing that he doesn't exist, okay? Allah had never left them. Allah never left them and he will never leave them. And he still wants to see you correct and get on back onto the path. You took a detour. Now let's get back. And so... I don't know that your belief in yourself has a direct correlation in your belief in God because you could have no belief in yourself. Like you can have just no love for yourself because no one gave it to you and you don't know how to give it to yourself. And But that doesn't mean that for that brief moment when you had that little morsel of faith that it's not going to come rushing towards you. Just because you don't have any belief in, your, in yourself, Allah is way beyond that. He's so bigger than that. His capacity is something we'll never, ever understand because of our limited mind. You know, just because we're far from him and, or we don't have a belief in ourselves, or we're not where we think we need to be has no bearing on how Allah will still time and time and time again come to you to try and get you back. Belief in yourself is important and it's great, but it's not like a, I have to believe in myself first in order to trust in God. No, it doesn't work that way. Thank you for unpacking that because I think that's something that I struggled with. Like, what is that correlation? Is there a correlation? There's a lot of factors that go into it. It's not as black and white, especially with our relationship with Allah. You know, something that I also recently found out is just not recently found out, but it's just a realization that like God's pace and God's plan isn't for us to decide. We know these things, but do we really know them? Like how do, and when I say, do we really know them? It's like knowledge is just knowledge, but it's wisdom when it's applied. When you apply it to your life, then it becomes wisdom. How do we live our life understanding that just because we're impatient doesn't mean that Allah is going to rush our blessings. Like, oh, look at, look at this little human. He's impatient. She's impatient. Like, let me change up my plans. Like, no, no, no. Allah is not going to change his pace or his plans because we think that we deserve certain things at this point in our life or certain things needs to need to happen to us. How do we learn to be a little bit more patient or how do we embody patience and understanding that Allah truly does know best? Like we know that, but like how do we live our life understanding that Allah's plan and the pace of his plan is the best of all plans and it's the best of all things that could ever happen to us? This is something, and you said it, Knowledge versus application of that knowledge are two different things. And I would venture to say that most people in life do not know how to truly, truly let God lead because we want to be in control of how we think our life should roll out. We want to be the ones to dictate for ourselves. I want this and I want that. And I don't want this and I don't want that. And we think we know what's best for us when ultimately we know nothing. And again, at the core of that is fear. It's fear of change. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of, but what if I can't? And what will people say? And how will I do it? And again, it's like looking a million steps ahead and just instead of just looking directly at being in the present, you said it earlier, being in the present. What do I need to do now? It's like starting my company. When Ahmed and I started this company, If I had thought about, you know, our end goal was to become a global brand. Me and Ahmed Newlyweds (laughs) living in our little Chicago apartment, we didn't have anything. If I had thought about how to get there from where we started, I never would have started. All I did was think, what's the immediate next step? Oh, form an LLC. Cool. Now what? Uh, You need a name. (laughs) Okay, next. Like it's little tiny steps in the present moment. So there's a few things to unpack here. How do we allow ourselves not to force our will on a situation and just let God in his set measure of all things, as he says in the Quran, Surah Al-Talaq, everything has a set measure. What does that mean? Allah's timing is perfect. His plans for you and where you're meant to go in this life is perfect. At the time it's meant to happen, not when you want it to happen, not in the way you want it to happen, but how Allah wants it to happen. And that's like, Ooh, and you can get there. That's like true tawakkul. That's true submission. So let me give you my example. I had always lived my life believing that I 
had real tawakkul. And alhamdulillah, for the most part, I could put my trust in God. When hardships came to me, I said, alhamdulillah, and everything happens for a reason. And I trust in Allah. But there was a piece of me that he was like, okay, we're going to really test this. So there was something that I really, really wanted to happen in the way that I wanted it to happen. And it didn't. And where did I find myself at the bottom of the bathtub crying, whimpering, whimpering, <laughs> like patheticville, like crying, like so, 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 I mean, like misery and agony and despair in a way, you know, think the worst of the worst. This was like my, one of my lowest points in my life without going too much into it. Cause that'll kind of lead us in another direction. When I had come out of that and I had my next session of therapy, she said, okay, hold on. So you realized you wanted this thing to happen. And you said, I'll give it 48 hours. So you gave it 48 hours. And then when it didn't come, you said, I'll give it another 48 hours. And when it didn't come, then you said, I'm going to kill myself. And I just started laughing. I was like, you're right. What's wrong with me? And she was like, listen, there are a million things that need to line up for this to happen the way you want it. Sometimes we think of God as just like sitting on a throne. No, God is working. God is like making things happen and lining things up and moving mountains. And like, there's so much happening. Think of like the interconnected world that I was just talking about. Everything has to be in place with everything around you, every living organism for anything to actually happen. So if I want something to happen a certain way and God will give me that thing, but not in the way I wanted it and when I want it, it's like, bro, chill out, chill out. She made it so, it, she made me think about the situation in a way that number one was like lighthearted. And number two, I could almost laugh at myself that I was like, I think I'm so special yes. that, you know, God's going to move this whole universe around just for me in the time that I want it. Well, you're not sorry to break it to you, Mel, but you're not that special. And none of us are that special. None of us are. So just accept divine timing. Get rid of your own individual timing and what you think and how you think this world needs to work. It's not, that's not reality. The only real reality is divine timing. This whole notion of like, well, why did this happen to me? It's like, who else did you think it should happen to? The girl next door? Like the person across the street? Who? If not, like, if not you, who? Everybody is equal in the way that we all have to work together. Getting over that and getting over forcing your will on a situation, God will test you a time and time and time and time and time again until you get it. It's like people get impatient, people get angry and they yell and they, it's like, it's not worth any of that. Just float. It's like the backwards law. If you try and swim, you'll sink. But if you actually just try and sink, you'll float. So stop trying to swim and moving your hands around and splashing around everywhere. Just put your hands up and lay back, which when you think about it is like the surest way to sink, right? Let me just do nothing and I'll probably sink. But instead, what happens? You float. That tiny moment of like, let me just put my hands up and, and sink is scary as hell. You could sink. Yes. Right? Like your mind's telling you, you might die. That's why it's scary. That's why 80% of people will never get here because it's scary. To say, let me put my hands up and you need to get to a point of like, I don't care anymore. I don't care about life. And that moment is the moment that's not a lot of people will get there. But if you get there, if you're one of those people on earth who are hand selected to get there and God puts you through that, you have the strength to overcome it. And you have the strength to put your hands up and, and float and realize, wow, Allah really does have me. So it's a rough and tough lesson to learn. But once you can get there, oh my God, the way you live your life, it's like free from worry just with utter abandon, just like, oh, I'll give you a perfect example. I had the speaking gig in Arizona in October and I was so excited because, you know, I haven't done anything in forever and I love, you know, going to talk to kids and it was like an MSA event. And that's like one of my biggest joys in life. So this is the first time since COVID hit that I get to travel and, you know, speak to kids and I get paid. It's it's like a win, 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 yeah. win, right? <laughs> so it's scheduled for, for October. I was so excited because it's Arizona. I've never been. I was like, I'm going to take a road trip. I'm going to drive up to the Grand Canyon. This is just what I need. Like Allah's so good, right? So I get a text one a few days ago in the morning. My booking agent was like, hey, just to let you know, it looks like they didn't secure their budget in time. So it's going to be postponed. And I was like, like, oh, no worries. I'm sure it's for the best. Immediate. I was like, whatever, you know, and I didn't think about it. That night, 
I get an email, subhanAllah, in the morning, actually, I had just thought about this one guy I used to work with when I was really, really heavily doing influencer brand deals. I thought about this guy who was the best, like he would just come to me with a deal. I hadn't heard from him in like three, four years. SubhanAllah, that night I get an email from him, which in and of itself was bizarre, like manifested his like presence in my life, which again, manifestation is like, we're not so special that we did it. Like Allah did it. Allah put the thought in your head. Right. And then it like happened in in reality. He reaches out to me with this awesome uh, opportunity to speak on this panel that same weekend that I would have been in Arizona. And it was more money. You know, it was an awesome event. It's an awesome event with a great brand. I was like, Oh, alhamdulillah. When I got that email, I have to admit, I started crying because I was like, all this was to me is confirmation because I've, I'm, you said it, I'm still going through it, right? I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still evolving. And I'm still learning what it means to float. And I was like, wow, this is confirmation to me from Allah that when you really just let it go and you really just let Allah lead and you really, really, really take to heart the hadith when the Rasul says, the affairs of a Muslim are all good. If something good happens to him, he says, Alhamdulillah. And if something bad happens to him, he says, Alhamdulillah, and he bears it with patience. And that's good for him too. When you really live that, I didn't think twice when it was postponed, the event, even though that meant, and I'm, you know, I'm single now, so I'm paying for this expensive AF New York apartment by myself. It's beautiful though. The views are beautiful. People think I'm like some rich, I'm not, okay? Like I'm, I'm just like struggling to survive. So I needed the money. But I'm not worried because I know Allah will provide for me. So when that text had come in the morning, I was like, it's fine. It's for the best. And Allah proved to me that it was for the best. That same day with an opportunity that was even more money. And, you know, forget about the money even. It's just like everything just fell into place the way it was meant to fall into place. So that's just an example of like, if you really, really, really just let go and stop trying to force your will on things and let Allah take the wheel. I promise you, I promise you, he will never let you fall. He will never let you fall. Think about it. Do you think that if you said, Allah, this is yours. I can't, I can't do this. Take it, take it from me. Take it. I give up. I relinquish control. Take it from me. Do you think he's just going to leave you up to your own devices? Do you think he's really, 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 you think he's just going to, this is the one that's, he loves you more than a mother loves its son or daughter. So if that's how much Allah loves us and cares for us, is he really just going to leave us? But again, to say these things are one thing, but to apply them into real life is another. It truly is. Because not to get into detail, but I I had a similar story where I lost money, but it was for a good cause. And that's how I justified it. I was like, it's for a good cause. Again, not to get too specific. I was like, it was meant for more money to be put into this. The next day, Melanie, literally the next day after I was like, it's okay. I'm not going to, you know, dispute this or anything. This is for a good cause. The next day I got a check, which I was not expecting whatsoever with double the amount that I lost. I was like, how, how? I was even expecting this check. I was expecting this money. I was expecting anything in return for what I've lost. And subhanAllah, like the next day from somewhere else, I got this check. And I was like, wow, like Allah truly is always listening. He's always just granting you all these blessings. All you have to do is just just trust in him. Like you have to realize like Allah is in control of the plan, but you're in control of the steps you take towards his plan. How are you going to show that you trust in him, that you believe in him, that you really truly do rely on Allah's guidance? Like how are you showing him as you're going along this path towards the plan that Allah has? Has made for you towards your destiny, towards your faith, towards what's written for you. SubhanAllah. I really want to thank you, Melanie, for this conversation. Personally, I think like I know you're super busy, but you should become a motivational speaker, like full-time gig. <laughs> honestly, because you're just incredible in that aspect. Like I told you, like I was blown away. And you were just talking about our purpose in life. And from that moment, I just kept thinking about that conversation and my purpose in life and just that question in itself. I asked that question to myself every single day. Like, what is my purpose today? Like Allah woke me up today. What is my purpose? Living a life where Allah's on your mind kind of 24 seven is honestly the best way to go. Like I've just realized I've just made better decisions. I've felt better about, you know, what's in store for me, just having more trust of what's in store for me, who knows what's in store for us, who knows how many more hardships we have to face. I mean, that's just the way life goes. Do you have any final words? And is there anything that we can kind of anticipate when it comes to your incredible brand? And, you know, especially Muslim women, I think that visibly Muslim women who wear the hijab, you know, they're always in the limelight. And unfortunately, like you, you, you hear stories about what's going on in France, you hear stories about what's going on everywhere. And it's just like, do you have any motivational words for Muslim women, for our community, and just anything that we can kind of like get excited about in the future from your brand and from you, inshallah? 
you know, for Muslim women living and operating in the world and being visible and, you know, do your best to not let fear grip you. If you need to pray and you need to find a place to pray, but you're afraid to pray outside or somewhere, don't allow that decision to be dictated by your fear. Be vigilant, be smart, but don't let fear be part of the equation. You know, if you want to venture on some endeavor, but you're afraid because of how you may be perceived as a Muslim woman, again, it's like, don't allow fear to move you, to make your decisions, to dictate how you live. And really know that it is fear. It is fear. When it, when it is, to acknowledge that and to pinpoint it. If we were able to do that and to live in a place of just true, true, true trust and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this is what you're supposed to do, that fear will kind of dissolve and it'll, it'll, it just won't be there anymore because you have such resolve that this is what I, I, it's time to pray. I don't care. I'm doing this for Allah. He'll protect me. Like, yeah, I'm going to find a safe space to pray. So just do the, you know, just do the thing that you want to do. What do you want? And do that thing and don't have it be dictated by other people and what they might think or what they might want or forget all of that. And also, you know, like, Muslim women, and we say this at, with, uh, you know, this is one of our taglines with our brand, and I, and I mean this, and I've written a whole, you know, write up on this about we create the world's best hijabs for the world's most powerful women. And I really believe that. And you can read my write up on that. It's on the footer of our website, it's on my Instagram page if you kind of scroll a bit. And what I mean by that is that Muslim women, particularly, are the world's most powerful women. Because there are no other women who say to the world, in a world that doesn't, may not want to hear from them, I am Muslim, these are my values, this is what I believe in, and this is what I'm offering to the world. Deal with it. I don't care <laughs> about what you may think about me dressing this way, or me choosing not to attend this function because it's not in line with my values. Or me praying at this time and excusing myself for this meeting because God's more important than any of y'all. It's like we operate in this world with this like secret. And, you know, I had just this q and I was talking about like somebody was saying, I think she was like trying to find love or, you know, she was like, I, I really want to be in a relationship, stuff like that. How do you attract someone? I was like, girl, just move throughout the world. Like you've got the secret inside of you. A big part of that for me is like, my belief, my Islam, my identity, like who I am, how I move through this world is like, I've got the truth in my pocket. Like I've got the truth of Islam in my pocket. How many people that you encounter day to day, if you live in the West can say that. And we move and operate throughout this world. And it's such, it's such a point of strength for us. It gives us power. It gives us motivation. It's this amazing force that carries us through. And that's why we're the most powerful women in the world. And I, I really lean into that. I lean into our strength as women, as believers, as Muslim women. Whether you wear hijab or not, I don't want to limit it to those who, you know, are just visibly Muslim. But, you know, those who are visibly Muslim, it is a, it is a specific experience, for sure. That, to me, is like, carry that with you. Don't ever forget your value, your worth as a Muslim woman. It's huge. It's power. It's strength. Lean into it. So that's what I would say to anybody who's just feeling any type of way. It's important to know and to feel. And then with our brand, there's always exciting things coming where, you know, we've been so focused on innovation, on design and textiles, which is really, really important and sustainability. And those are cornerstones of our brand. Right now, I'm in a phase where I want to get back to, and I think we're all here now post, no, it's not, I don't know if we can say post COVID, but you know, like what's moving me right now is kind of like what we did in this space with the luxury collection back in 2018. That momentum is heavy on me right now and on my team. And that's where I'm living. And that's what you have to look forward to with us. There's a lot of, you know, like smaller launches happening, but the next biggest thing for me is going to be what's what does the 2.0 of what we did then, which was completely, I, I think that was what catapulted our brand in the mainstream because, you know, like Vogue picked it up and every other fashion magazine after that, because it was hijab in a way that kind of hadn't been seen like that, at least in the way that we presented it and in the way that we kind of manufactured it. And I want to do 
an extension of that. Like what, how can we do that again? And so that's where I'm at, you know, obviously the community and bringing events back and, and what that entails is going to be exciting to kind of think through because at our brand, it's community first, then product and then service. Those are our brand pillars. Community has, and always will be first. That's what we're doing, building a community. And so how we're going to strengthen this community in this new world is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, at the change makers, I found majority of the women there that were wearing the hijab, they literally said like, it was because of your brand that kind of like instilled this momentum in them, this motivation to keep wearing the hijab, to to have this like connection with it. And it was just so powerful to like witness that. And it's so true. It is for you. It is community first. Like you could tell like everybody at the event, it felt like I didn't know anybody at the event, maybe, maybe a few people like you brought us together, like you brought us together. And I honestly felt like we all ended up knowing each other after the event. So yes, like, please more change makers events. We need this. You're just a powerhouse, Melanie, like mashallah, mashallah in every avenue and every aspect you were in so incredible incredible. You just remind us of our faith over and over again. And you lace every conversation, everything, even from your business to everything, just like with faith and it's faith first, then community, then whatever it is that you're working on. And I think it's just so powerful to witness somebody like you bloom in the way that you're blooming, showing us that life is full of hardships, but this is how I'm overcoming it. This is what I'm going through. And I honestly want to thank you for always just kind of bringing us in, even if it's through snap stories and whatnot, but it's like, you feel so connected. Like it's your stories that I literally just stop and I watch them because I know that there's a gem, there's a reflection. I love when you share your daily reflections. There's something that I'm going to take away that's going to better my day, uplift my mood, that's going to make change my perspective. So I really, really want to thank you. Sometimes I don't think, you know, individuals know how much they impact other people, especially when we're always on social media. You don't know how far and wide your words can go and how much they can impact people. And I just really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you for this conversation and for just being who you are for always just putting your community first. So thank you so much, Melanie. Thank you for this conversation. You, alhamdulillah. Anything good that comes from me is from Allah, period. So alhamdulillah that Allah has done his work through me. I'm very grateful for that and I don't take it for granted. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. If this is the first time you're hearing me, like Dunya said, you know, community is first. And so come and say hi and come follow me on Instagram. And I'd love for to meet you and to for you to kind of envelop yourself into our community that we're building. So thank you again for having me. Yeah, of course. And as always, we always share like your your social media websites, everything, all your handles, tags and, and your brand's website all in the episode notes. And I'm going to, of course, do a giveaway. I absolutely love your brand. I may not be a hijabi myself, but I am somebody who is striving to become one, inshallah, one day. So I would love to just share your brand with other people. I know a lot of people are very familiar with it, but it's always exciting to just like, you know, be able to support, support our Muslim women in our community and just to have a giveaway and just make it exciting. So thank you so much for this conversation, Melanie. And I know a lot of people walked away with so much wisdom and well, knowledge. You have to apply it first and then it'll become wisdom, inshallah. So thank you so much, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me.